Welcome to Banana Bites. In this segment of the podcast, we go live on Data IQ's LinkedIn and Twitter every other week to talk to you about the latest in data science and AI. Our 15-minute bites are here to fuel your afternoon snack time with easy-to-digest food for thought. Hi, welcome to Banana Bites. I'm Trevaney, and with me, as always, are Corey and CPM, and we are the Banana Date Crew. Banana Date? Banana Bite Crew. Um, and we're here. We are going on a date. We are <laughs> all three of us right now. We're going to talk about AI all together, all three of us from our separate homes, right? Because that's that's how you do dating these days, apparently. Uh, so uh, if you are interested in all things AI, machine learning, data science, what's hot, what's not in that world, you should check out the Banana Data podcast, um, which is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, but for now, we're going to have a little bite, which is sort of a teaser trailer of things that we talk about on the, the larger podcast. So I'll turn it over to Corey, who is our guide on all things bite related. Thank you, Trevani, and thank you for joining us on our Zoom date. Uh, three's a company too. Uh, today's banana bite, uh, AI and machine learning are revolutionizing biological sciences. What are the implications? If you know those and you don't wanna to listen to us, please comment below or subscribe to the podcast. It'll be really helpful if we can crowdsource some of that knowledge, help us sound smarter in the process, a win-win for everyone. So with today's finding, we're going to be talking about something really interesting. We're going to be talking about proteins. So your meats, your steaks, your sausages, your whey protein. Am I oh, right, wait, No, 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 no. That's not the protein we're talking about. Oh, my bad. You guys have been doing too much, like, watching of, like, bulking up shows or whatever. <laughs> but no. Uh, we're actually talking about protein structures, right? So the biology part of this whole thing, which is to say, like, the actual... Um, molecular level of a protein, which uh, is like embedded in all of life and organic material. Oh, um, I'm sorry, my bad. <laughs> um, Chris, Chris, you want to take it away and 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 sh and show shine some knowledge here? Sure. Um, so there was recently this announcement that um, DeepMind um, created this uh, essentially an algorithm called AlphaFold that is really helpful for, um, you know, identifying these three-dimensional structures of proteins. And that can have a lot of implications for um, the medical field and pharmaceutical field and things like that um, for determining um, how to create different medications, how to intervene um, for therapeutic um, sessions for different people who have different types of ailments, um, and so on and so forth. And um, it's actually quite interesting, this kind of uh, project has been going on for a couple of decades. Um, this critical assessment of structure protein or the CASP um, has been um, an ongoing problem. And it's been a bit of a challenge to both get accurate results, but also swift results. So previously there've been traditional techniques like X-ray crystallography or NMR spectro copy, <laughs> not a biologist here, but those I are- I remember that from college actually. Yeah, really, ooh. <laughs> um, but, but those techniques uh, take place in a lab um, with you know, traditional kind of biologists or chemists um, and take a long time to determine these structures. And sometimes you don't even get conclusive results. 
Um, so there was a team that was organized um, to uh, actually apply AI to solve these protein structures. And now um, you can actually get some of these answers both very accurately and in sometimes a matter of minutes. Yeah, and I, well, okay, so this is pretty cool stuff. And I was really excited about this because like I said, in undergrad, I, I took a, like a series of courses on genetics and all that fun stuff. And I loved it. I think if I hadn't gone into data science, I would be a geneticist right now, which we wouldn't have a banana data podcast. No. The genome podcast. Anyway, uh, but what was exciting for me was like, oh my God, we solved this problem that my undergrad biology professor would talk about all the time. Um, but I read the articles and then you start reading the, the caveats in, in how people are talking about it. And AI has done some amazing stuff here, but it's not like solving the, the entire problem, right? It's not like cancer is gonna be solved from this, maybe down the line, but right now what we have is um, a really good first step. And I just worry about going down the, the rabbit hole of like AI sensationalism and over promising and then under delivering and people feeling overwhelmed. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing is that, um, you know, we're a long way from being able to synthesize accurately a protein fold and then being able to like develop a vaccine on the spot or be able to, to open up more research and being able to um, deal with like critical pandemics or diseases or anything along those lines. I do think that it is really interesting that AI uh, in particular was used to be able to I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, speed up the process. Um, the piece that I read particularly in the, from the BBC News, it kind of struck me how, um, how in the dark a lot of scientists or the teams that were working on this were in regards to being able to develop and, and synthesize this process and how AI was able to do it for lack of, again, with relative ease. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, even though it was a deep learning black box model, it actually kind of white boxed their overall procedures in terms of pro finding protein structures. Yeah, and um, I mean, I think uh, the question now is um, like how important this is because I think as Trevini, as you mentioned it, I mean, like this goes from the way it was presented by you know the general media that picked this up, and this was like a top headline, not necessarily something that you see every day um, as opposed to um, like the actual meat and the, the meaning of, of the uh, definition, you know, do you want to speak a little bit more or you, Chris, do you want to speak a little bit more to that sort of the framing versus the reality of this and why we, the, maybe the media should be a little more, you know, careful with how they assess these uh, discoveries. Yeah, sure. Um, so realistically, the, there was a, a, a massive sort of push forward in an intractable problem of sorts. So analyzing these protein sequences to find the folding structure is a really incredibly hard problem. There's literally more um, configurations of these protein structures than there are atoms in the universe. So actually having an AI system that solves this in a, a few minutes is actually pretty groundbreaking. But what's not, you know, what's being presented sometimes in the media is that point A, which is solving these protein structures, and point B, possibly developing a vaccine for a global pandemic, they are related, but there is also a significant jump from that point A to point B. 
So whereas we definitely have made a lot of progress um, and there are implications to that um, for, uh, you know, this revolutionized uh, biological algorithm, um, it's not necessarily leading to that end result that sometimes maybe sl uh, splashed across the headlines. Correlation doesn't equal causation. <laughs> As always, yes, it does not. Didn't we discuss that last time? Yeah. Or no, yeah, okay. <laughs> All the banana bites kind of blend together in the smoothie of my brain. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think that like that that trade-off um, of how do you balance like excitement and pushing us forward uh, with with like actually reporting the right news is something that we've we've talked about um, prior on the podcast. Actually, um, there was a great episode we did where we interviewed Karen Howe, who's a um, AI senior AI reporter for the MIT Tech Review. Um, and really we kind of dug into these, these questions. And I think, you know, the excitement around, oh my God, we've solved like protein structure stuff, right? Which for the average person is about as, as deep as we're going to ever understand it is really cool. Um, but then, you know, it's, it also becomes one of those things where it's like, oh, some science thing happened. And like, why isn't, why don't I have flying cars now? Right. And so <laughs> how do we help people? Like, how do we not only talk about AI among like ourselves, but also broadly so that we're helping people understand like the actual implications of what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that also then ties into bigger questions around ethics too, because if you say, oh, well, the machine said it and it's magic and you should trust the machine, then we're ignoring all of the potential fallout and negative implications. Um before we move forward, I, uh, I would definitely encourage you to, if you guys have any questions, I know that this is a pretty meaty topic. I know it's relevant, but it could also be a little bit complicated. So for anyone listening that might have any questions, please feel free to submit it and we'll try to use as much of our knowledge as possible. Um, I guess the a thought that goes into this is um, sort of the consequences of this. And I think it has consequences that go far beyond the actual discovery or the, or the actual ability to be able to do the protein folding. For example, where does this belong? Who does this belong to? Again, in the BBC news article that I cited, it says that proteins are generally uploaded into a worldwide database for use. However, that this, in this instance with the AI, the AI that was utilized was proprietary. AI, it's a, uh, the company is DeepMind, which is a subsidiary of Alphabet. And for those of you who don't know, Alphabet is the parent company of Google. Um, so the question is, is this technically IP? I mean, I would, I mean, like the model itself has to be IP. Mm -hmm. I know that they use like the, this public data set, but if they don't want to release the model, they don't have to. But knowing how academics works, knowing how scientists work, they're not going to take this blind faith either. Like this model is going to get probed and analyzed and reconfirmed and retested by a lot of other people and validated externally before it is actually used in, you know, full-time um, applications or the like. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. There has to be some sort of vetting process. And I, I, I would, my intuition would say that that would occur. 
I mean, technically the technology itself is proprietary, but it's most likely going to be the case that it will be shared with other researchers for just the greater good in general. At least we would hope so, especially yeah. since responsible AI is a topic that we talk about all the time. I feel like right. it would be irresponsible to kind of hold on to this information, knowing that the long-term results of sharing it is actually such a positive thing. Yeah, and like I think, I think it's interesting. It's like an interesting parallel to the fact that you know, business X has a model to predict, you know, outcomes for their customers or whatever they need. No one's asking to like evaluate that and, and check that it's correct um, from a broader perspective. The business is checking on it, right? You're checking your metrics, you're making sure that you're not creating losses and you're actually maximizing your profits. But now we're dealing with something that, you know, like I don't have customers that I'm trying to sell stuff to, but I have proteins and you have proteins. And so, don't we all kind of deserve access and understanding of this thing that's fundamentally, fundamentally, um, you know, a part of of our lives? Um, along the same lines of this discussion, we do have a question. Do you think this kind of information belongs in the public domain? What are the risks of making it so public? How do you pick the right info? So you know, a little bit of an allegory here. When the polio vaccine was developed, uh, Jonas Salk had the opportunity to probably make it proprietary and make a lot of money off of it. He declined to do so. He submitted it to the public. He said that everyone should have access to this. This is groundbreaking. It will change the world and the billions that, paraphrasing, and the billions that will be, you know, saved or helped with this outweighs the amount of money that I can make. Um, so, uh, I mean, I think we have already discussed um, the benefits of the of having this public and why some of the steps of like why this should be in the public domain. What do you guys think are the are the risks of making it public? Uh, excuse me, the risk. Yeah, what do you guys think the risks of making it so public? And how do you pick the right info? Yeah, well, okay, but here's the thing: Chris and I are not experts in biology or chemistry or any of this stuff because otherwise we would be probably doing amazing things for the world elsewhere. <laughs> But uh, I, that's, I think this is I think this is that that critical aspect where the link between the domain experts and the AI builders is is so important, right? Because if the folks who made the AI say, "Well, we built the model, we'll decide what gets released," um, but they're not actually involving people who deeply understand this subject, then it's possible that that information that gets released is wrong or um, not at all relevant or useful for anyone else or whatever it might be. So I think that like, it's not, obviously Chris and I are not gonna be the ones who predict or pick the right info for release, but I do think that the way forward is to make sure there's that bridge between the people who know all about this stuff and the people who built the stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's probably why this project was so successful, especially recently, because this team that that really created this um, was a team of biologists, physicists, computer scientists, and data scientists. And so every one of those people had different things to bring to the table. And as Trevani mentioned, that pairing between the domain expertise and the data science expertise really is where the gold lies. Actually, um, to tee up our future episode, um, we're going to be talking about this in a lot more detail um, for an episode that's going to be released next Friday, the 18th. So be on the lookout for that. Or December 18th, yes. <laughs> cool. Well, actually, that's about all the time we have for today. Thank you, Corey, for this uh, fascinatingly 
robust conversation. I was Wait, trying to come up with a protein so, joke. So does that mean we're not going to be talking about meats? We ran out of time. Nope. I maybe. am. I was about to say I'm vegetarian, but I'm not. Maybe so, next like, time. <laughs> maybe next time. Uh, but anyway, thank you all for being here. We are signing off for now. But as always, you can find the Banana Data podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we'll see you guys after the holidays now. Bye. Bye. And that's all we have for our Banana Bites today. To catch our live segments, follow Data IQ on LinkedIn or Twitter for bi-weekly live streams. 